on the East Coast, the Fatback Bang. Come on. Hi. Right, Madge. Palm olive suds last from the first glass to the last greasy casserole. And it softens hands while you do dishes. You're soaking in it. You know you're soaking in it. You're soaking in it. I once, just once, I had what I would call call a ghost encounter, if that if that's appropriate, I'm not sure. I was living with one of my friends, with my, my best friend. Her grandfather, her paternal grandfather, uh, had passed away. She was very sad. She went to the funeral that day, and she was. We were back at home. We were the only two ones living together, and she was crying and very depressed and talking about her grandfather and the relationship that they had and everything else, as you normally do in those situations. So we spent most of the night talking, and she was crying, and I was trying to help her go through this. And after a while, after a few hours, perhaps it was like 3 in the morning, 3 a.m., we decided to go to sleep. We had to go to work and other things the next morning. So we each went to our separate bedrooms, with where, which were co-adjacent, like my door was right next to her door. We went to bed and I was pretty tired. I was on my bed. I was in that state when you're falling asleep, but not fully asleep yet. And then when I was in that state, I heard very clearly someone knocking on what I thought was my door. So I kind of became more aware of it and I, I, I sat on my bed and I remained very quiet trying to listen if someone was knocking on my door again because I thought it was my friend and she probably needed something. But no one else said anything, so I went back to bed. As I was trying to fall asleep again, I heard very clearly in a male's voice the name of my friend repeated twice. It was weird because it was like a voice that perfectly said her name, but it was a voice that was not there. Almost like when you remember someone talking to you, but you're not actually hearing their voice. So the voice said her name twice. And like a minute later, my friend came into the room and asked me, what do you want? Why were you calling me? And I said, I was not calling you, but I heard it too. I heard someone calling you. And we just stood there kind of baffled and perplexed because we were not sure what just happened. But we both heard someone knocking on the door. We both thought it was the other one knocking on the door, the other friend. And then when we heard the voice, it was confusing. And that's why she went into my bedroom. And we kind of looked at each other and we thought that it was her grandfather kind of saying goodbye.
All right. Let's get it. I hate myself. I hate myself. I hate myself. I truly, I truly hate myself. This particular episode uh, deals with something that happened at the very end of November of 2017. So it happened at the end of last year. And that thing was... It's Kimmy All right. At the end of November of last year, November 27th, in fact, a woman named Charlotte Lundqvist, an evolutionary biologist at the State University of New York in Buffalo, announced that she had finished her work documenting DNA from. I'm spacing out. So, so, November 27th, last year, right. there was this lady named Charlotte Lindgren, an evolutionary biologist at the, so, uh, the State University of New York in Buffalo. Right. She was working on this documentary for these people about the Yeti, right? Yes. And in that... The anim- on, there, she was working for Animal Planet. It was an ongoing three-year project. Her, they bring would bring her like DNA from things that they thought were going to be right. Yetis, so, right. and so she they, would analyze them to yeah. see if she, what she could find in the it DNA. It sickens me that you're better at this than I. I'm a performer. So this woman was working on this documentary for Animal Planet, and she uh, was doing DNA analysis, and they analyzed 24 samples. Are you paying attention? I thought it was eight. No, no, no. So they analyzed 24 samples in total. Um, Um, Nine of the samples uh, were purported to be from a Yeti. So the other, what's 24 minus nine? 24 minus nine is like 16. Is that right? No. I'm a little shaken. So my sporting team just lost in the playoffs in spectacular spectacular fashion I'm yet again shot. i've had my little adult tantrum but uh 15 <laughs> and, yeah thank you very good 24 minus 9 is 15 so 15 of the samples actually came from uh, zoos in the area and other things that were they were known to be different types of bears from the area one type of bear was the himalayan brown bear one was the tibetan brown bear and one was a black bear not one sample but the other 15 samples were from those three types of bears then there were the nine samples that were purported to be from Yeti. Now, her big announcement was that eight of the Yeti, purported Yeti samples turned out to be bears and one was from a dog. That's kind of a bummer, but uh, this show is to sort of drag us out of that bummer. A friend of mine actually made a point that like, you know, I, I went to the store to buy apples and when I got home I had I had nine red apples. Did I prove that all apples are red? No. So take solace in the fact that all she did was prove that those nine right. samples were not from the Yeti. But I, were from right. elves. They were from elves. So they were from bears and she was pretty mug about it. I don't know if you saw the picture of her. She seemed nice. She seemed nice. She I think she was genuinely nice. happy because she there was some proof about the relationship between the Himalayan brown bear and uh, and the other type of bear and where they kind of forked off genetically. What I found to be pretty interesting and pretty, well, I thought it was pretty obnoxious. Science Magazine. This is the headline from Science Magazine. So much for the abominable snowman. Study finds that, quote, Yeti, lowercase, unquote, DNA belongs to bears. That, to me, is an incredibly unscientific statement. If there's one thing we know, it's near impossible to prove a negative. The article leads with a a headline that says that they proved the negative. They didn't prove a negative. They proved a positive, which was that these samples were from these bears. Yeah, um, I thought the Yeti was supposed to be white. Because in the picture or the drawing, the Yeti is brown. What's up with that? Oh, let's see. Again, yeah, right. See, yeah, exactly. There it is. One's walking one way, one's walking right at you, and they're both brown. It just, they don't know what they're talking about. Those are Bigfoot, right? Like, those are totally Bigfoot. Um, okay. I, I was know. just trying to, like, 
Yep. Yep. According to, quote, lowercase science, end quote, magazine, uh, so much for the abominable snowman. From every cloud, a little rain must fall, but from that rain, flowers may grow. Did I really just say that? Wow. I'm, I'm, you make I'm, me sad, I'm, man. I'm, 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 I'm really reeling about my sporting team. It's making... Mm. The, the, point, the point is that... Oh, Lord. I'm better at this than you. Yeah, hold on. We're just, we're just going to skip ahead. Let's you skip should, ahead. Let's skip ahead. Do you know what you should do? What? You should write out your points. I did write them out. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? So if this news bummed you out in the way that it bummed me out just a little bit, uh, we have a special treat. We're going to talk about the Yeti, and let's take a step back in time. You are not familiar at all with the history of the Yeti, are you? No. Can I make a point that I just thought of? Yeah, what's your point? So like a year or two ago, I read Lord of the Flies, and you know that scene where they're chasing, I think they're chasing Piggy through the forest, and what the boys do is they like line up and like link hands. They run the link to the island like linked arms so they would come across him mm-hmm. why don't we just do that with the forest that has a lot of bigfoot sightings yeah well, i'll tell you what later on in the show we're going to look at a relief map or a topographic map of the himalayas and you tell me how many people it would take to form not a, the himalayas <laughs> but like a small arm. a small forest that has a lot of bigfoot sightings i bet you could get together a bunch of bigfoot believers who'd be willing to do that uh, that all depends on whether the that bigfoot is actually an animal or if it's paranormal you know there have been a lot of sightings where people see it shift into it like blend in in a way that they're almost invisible or traveling between dimensions yeah i have, have another question what this is a show this is, is going to take a long time if you keep that's asking about questions aliens that are off track. and ghosts and cryptozoology but all we've talked about is bigfoot that's because you're not reading the material that I gave you. You gave me no one. You gave me three material. I gave, I gave you a lot of material. No, that for this show. But I gave you a lot of material for the other shows that you haven't read. Nah. Therefore, we can't. Yeah. Nah, bro. Have, have you? How many chapters have you read of the book that I gave you to read? Seven. Mm-hmm. How many chapters are there? I don't know. 25. And that, you don't know because you haven't finished. And I have seven of them down. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, seven down. Let's get in the Wayback Machine. I asked you if you knew any of the history of the Yeti. Do you know any of the history of the Yeti? Um, in, like, um, what are the people who live in the Himalaya? Or, like, lived at the base in Nepal? Well, Nepal is a country that is in part of the Himalayas, but the Himalayas yeah, reach no, but they have, like, there's many a, countries. There's lore from one of those countries about seeing a big thing walking on two legs through the mountains. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. Yeah. And sometimes... He's white. Yeah, very good. That's not a And lot. smiley and gives children popsicles. No, I think you're thinking of uh, that that thing from the the uh, land of broken toys. What what is what is it? What was that? The the misfit toys. I don't know what, what was that, that is, thing? man. You, you've seen it. No, Rudolph the red red nosed reindeer. There's the the big thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I liked him. Right. He was nice. Yeah, yeah. That's the lore. So this comes from the website Cryptomundo. Do you know? Do you know about this website? No. So it was written by Lauren Coleman. Do you know who Lauren Coleman is? Not nah, bro. Do you remember when we were in Maine and they were having? <gasps> oh, it's that guy. Yes. At the table across from us. No, it's the guy who who uh, has the the museum in Portland, Maine. I didn't go to the museum. The cryptozoology museum. We did and not they were, go to the museum. And they, they had, there was a conference there. We didn't go because we were about six hours north of there in May. 
at the time. I thought about driving down for the day, but it would have been, it was near the end of our trip and it would have been too much. So I decided not to do it. I kind of wish I would have, but I didn't. Next time. On November 8th, this is written by Lauren Coleman, by the way. On November 8th, 1951 at 4 p.m., British mountain climber Eric Shipton, while on his fifth visit to Mount Everest, came across the tracks that would become the most famous Yeti footprints ever found and photographed. This is the first time Westerners had encountered the footprints of a Yeti and documented it. Oh, damn. No, wait, what? No cursing. This is a curse-free. Is that a curse? Curse-free show. I don't count. So th- this expedition that he was on, I believe it was a reconnaissance mission. He was with a group of people out scouting different ways that they could reach the summit of Mount Everest. They were going to make a trip to the, the peak of Mount Everest, but this particular trip in 1951 was just to do reconnaissance and figure out the best way to get up there. So the expedition party consisted of leader Eric Shipton, Michael Ward, Bill Murray, Tom Bordelon, uh, Sir Edmund Hillary, Earl Radiford, I can't read that name, Angdarke, Passang Bota, uh, Nima, I can't read it, Tenzing Norgay, who's very famous, and six other Sherpas. Hey, why was famous comedian and actor Bill Murray on a no, no, different. <laughs> Different Bill Murray. First of all, this is 1951, so it was probably before Bill Murray, the actor-comedian, was, or was born. Bill Murray is... You probably don't recognize any of these any of these names, but uh, all of these people are very, very famous, very experienced mountaineers and scientists. Tenzing Norgay, as a matter of fact, I think was listed by, I think it was Time Magazine one as 100 most influential people of the 20th century. Like something crazy like that. I may have that wrong, but you know. Whatever. You have this group of guys, they're all very, very grounded people. They're not out to convince themselves that they're seeing something. They just happen across these tracks. Let's take a, a look at these guys, right? So there's there's Sir Edmund Hillary, and I mean look at him. Can you imagine going up through the Himalayas in these outfits with the goggles and all that? So there's Tenzing Norgay, uh, there's Eric Shipman with the pipe. There's the whole crew right there. They look cool. Yeah. I'd hang out with them. Yeah, they look extra cool. You're drawing on your hand. Stop drawing on your hand. Pay, pay attention. I'm doing both. It helps me focus. Okay. You're, you've slouched, so you're not in the... Your sound is going way down. Yeah, I can. I can hear me. Like a daisy high moon. Anyways, these dudes were hardcore, right? They were, they were no joke. And they came across these tracks in the snow and they documented them. They didn't have a lot of time because they were on their way. You know, they were on their way and they had limited supplies and limited time. Mm-hmm. But they stopped for a moment and they took some photographs of these footprints in the snow. This was from the article again. So ship this. Hey, <laughs> shut up. Okay, yeah. Here, you read the next part. Which part? Here, you, the part that you can see projected on the screen. Shipton used an ice pick to give the footprints in the snow at Mumlik Basin some scale. The footprints measured between 12 and 13 inches long. Okay, so let's take a look at these footprints. Yeah. That's big. Yeah. But, you know, when I look at this, you know what I see? Kind of looks fake. It looks real, but there's a funny thing that some bears do when they walk, where they put their hind leg in the footprint of their front leg as they walk, and it creates the straight line of prints. I've seen I've, I've seen it demonstrated where they went to a zoo, and they had bears walk around, and they found, they found a set of prints that looked just like a Bigfoot track, mm-hmm. right? So when I look at that, this is what I see. I see a Bigfoot here, 
by that I mean a big footprint. And then within it, I see another track. I see a heel here, and I see a heel here. I see a track that goes like this, and I see a track that goes like that. See, my first thought when I looked at this is, like, the toes look really perfect, especially, like, the biggest toe. Mm -hmm. And usually when any animal picks up its foot, especially in the snow, it doesn't leave such a perfectly shaped footprint. There's usually some pickup and like fallen that's, from the snow. That's actually that's actually an interesting point. Like nobody steps that perfectly, especially an animal. So it's conjectured that when Sasquatch walk or Yeti or whatever, that they lift their foot almost like straight up. We saw that, right, with the Patterson-Gimlin film. Yeah. Which means that they the, the thing would have set its foot down in the snow and lifted it almost straight up in order to take the stride. So that would leave these perfect edges around it. Snow tracks obviously lead a trail, right? Yeah. Did they ever explain, like, if it went in a direction or mm. how many they saw? So on to or the next picture. Oh. Right? So Those look like butt prints. Sorry. They're footprints. They're footprints and they lead way, way off into this chasm. What the, the people that found the footprints claimed is that like when the footprints reached this chasm, the thing sort of leaped or like stretched across and they found claw marks in the snow as if it were gripping in order to move forward. But I still like to me, I look at those things and I, I think that's a classic example of a bear walking in its own tracks. You think it's a bear? Yeah, I think I think that those are bear tracks. But like what bear has a foot shape like that? No, no. Well, let's go back to the footprint, right? It you mean looks the outline? Like with a the weird, the yeah. weird big toe thing, it is it is strange how the toe is offset. It doesn't look like a lot yeah, of. Yeah, I don't think these men would stop to take like. Well, I I think they to th fake this. Right, and they I, were there doing a journey and right. trying to do it quickly. And according to record, the Sherpa all said that you know this was that a yeti had passed through. But I still think I think those are bear tracks. Now I, I've seen other trackways that I don't think are bear tracks, but I I think that I think they found bear tracks. This is Eric Shipton. This is also from uh, Lauren Coleman's article. If you could read this one, I'd appreciate it. <sighs> yeah, that's ear splitting. Here is how Shipton talked about his findings of the footprint in his report in the Times of London. The tracks were mostly distorted by melting into over. It Here, showed could you start again? Okay. Start again, and when it's when it's his quote. Make it sound like it's his quote. What do you mean? Like, do a funny voice? No, not a funny voice. The tracks but were mostly distorted yeah, by no. melting oval impression. Yeah, 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 funny voice. <laughs> you right. impressions. Yeah. Here is how Shipton talked about his findings of the footprint in his report in the Times of London. The tracks were mostly distorted by melting into oval impressions, slightly longer and a good deal broader than those made by our mountain boots. But here and there, where the snow covering the ice was thin, we came upon preserved impression of the creature's foot. It showed three toes, actually four, and a broad thumb to the side. What was particularly interesting was that where the tracks crossed the crevice, one could see clearly where the creature had jumped and used its toes to secure purchase on the other side. We followed the tracks for more than a mile down the glacier before we got onto the moraine-covered ice. I wish they would have taken pictures of that. I think that would have told a lot more. But, yep. you know, again, they had limited resources and limited time, and they needed to move on. So, Oh, look, there they are with the Yeti. Yep, so that's a picture of them uh, with the Yeti. <laughs> yeah, that's not as funny as I thought it would be. I thought you'd think that was funnier. It's, go back. Look at that lady's hat. Yeah, it's like a big nipple. <laughs> exactly what I was about to say, <laughs> yeah. but I thought you were going to yeah. yell at me for saying it. No. You know what? I think it's a lot colder here than it was in the Himalayas for those guys. Uh, 
It's been okay. Oh my, oh my lord. Did you it's know been... there's a town in um, Russia that's been deemed the coldest town in the world? Mm-hmm. Like out in the, um, the what's it called? So some French dude named uh, Philip Philippe Philippe Coudre, I think. Philippe Coudre. Whatever. This is taken from his guidebook, a guidebook to hidden animals, published October 2009. It's like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. It's a little like that. It's actually it's it's a compilation or like an aggregate of information about cryptids from all over the world. Before I get into that, let's take a look at the book. It's actually kind of cool. Look, it's got nice illustrations and, you know, look, oh, ooh, look, he's running down the hill and there's one little lonely guy, lonely Sasquatch walking away. But it's got all these things. It's got hominids and it's got... Uh, You're a hominid. Uh, that's right. Wait, are you? I are think, we? I hope so. Is that, wait, is like human hominid? <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, dude. Oh. So it covers like all the different <gasps> mythical... An hom- ape of Vietnam. Yep. Mythical, the Yowie. Yep. There's some maps and all sorts of stuff. Are there but sightings? It, in the Philippines. Oh, there are sightings. There are sightings yeah. all over the world. Coolio. It's a neat book. I don't know. I think it was recently translated into English maybe a couple years ago. So in this guy... Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I love my name is Cookie Monster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there aren't any blue ones. So there are actually three types of Yetis in the Himalayas. Um, so there's a big one called the Zute, I think. So that's supposed to be about two and a half meters tall. I don't know, eight, nine feet tall. Something like, like my that. bookshelf. No, your bookshelf is mm, probably seven feet tall. It, oh. Like it would be, it would be the, like the, the he- size of this room. No, like, right, like the like the ceiling in this room. That's tall, that's man. Right. It's really tall. That would so that's called scar me so zu, zute. That's the big one, and then there's a little one called the mete, which is 1.7 meters tall. That's right? like seven. And then there's a very little one called the teima, which is roughly one meter tall on average. I like the idea of the little people because you know why hobbits. Yeah, and all that. You know why? It's like cousin it from the Adam. Because they can hide. To me, it's it's more plausible because they can hide, and I, and I also like sort of the paranormal mythology around around them. Um, so they think there's a, a little a little one called Teima. So Te, Teima, the dwarf of the Himalayas, the Teima, which means this little thing, is the smallest of the three yetis. It measures between 0.9 to 1.2 meters, has stooping shoulders, a pointed head, a sloping forehead, and grayish red hairs. It eats frogs and other small animals. During during the 1954 Himalayan expedition, Gerald Russell, an American nationalist, so this says, I don't know, I copied this directly out of the book. It says excrements. Where? I don't know. Right, I don't know, fourth row down, third word in. Excrements, colon. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that's, shut up. That's pretty rich. During the 1954 Himalayan expedition, or Himalayan, some people say, Gerald Russell, an American naturalist, heard for the first time of this miniature yeti. On that occasion, he was able to examine excretia. Okay, that's what the excrements mean. Presumed to be from this creature. A yeti feels the cold. Russell concluded from his studies that the Teima lives in the tropical valleys of Nepal. He was able to return there in 1958. His guide and another witness saw a Teima in the middle of a creek situated on the Choyang River Valley in April 1958. Although Russell did not see the creature himself, he found its traces on more than one occasion. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Teima. So there's no Big Yeti, you know? So what? But we're going to talk about this thing. The Teima, the little one. So there he is. 
There's a picture. Look at him. He's tiny. He's like my height. I don't know. He looks like a little version of the big thing. He's got a, he's got the con, he's got the peaked pointed head. I kind of wanted him to be like the height of my desk. One when I imagine little, I want him to be tiny. Well, he's like pocket size. I want to be able to hold him like a toddler. Oh, those exist, but not this guy. This is this is like whatever. This is like a meter tall. So yeah. He actually is, they are range from the height of your desk to a little taller than your desk. So all of that out of the way, we're going to take a listen to a fellow who has seen one of these things. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. You, well, I'm tired. Well, you... I can't make tiredness just go away. I, I, I know, but you got... No, I'm just... You got to hang, okay, please? All right, Wait, so we're. Before we listen to this, can I just lay down? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now we're going to listen to a man it. who's seen a Taima. It seems it's it valid. Like, I think this thing's pretty real. This isn't any good without you interacting. You're this is it. not cool. You shouldn't You're be. It. You should be. Yeah, you shouldn't I'm be. I'm sorry. I'm just. You shouldn't tired. be. You shouldn't be laying down while we do you're this because you're just gonna. You're, you're gonna get more tired. Let's do it. You're soaking in it. I think if you sat up, it would help. But I don't want to sit up. You're okay, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll let you lay there for a minute. If you if you sit up and join me. Yeah, but not properly. Like this is this is this is. Not. You're talking this isn't working. You're soaking in it. You're soaking in it. Oh, you know you're soaking in it. Fine, I'm getting up. You're turning my minute of relaxation. You know you're soaking no, in no. it. Just let no let. Wait, but this isn't. But this isn't that cool. I mean, you you're just, soaking in it. I'm not yelling at you over it. That you know you're soaking in it. You know what though? You're pushing you know my you're buttons. It's it. not cool. You know you're soaking it. Angry. I'm not angry. This is angry. Okay, let's don't ask for it, please. No, no, stop. Seriously, lay back down. No. So instead of what we had planned, you get this. Known as Fey Folk, Dany, Duende Gnomes, etc., etc. We cannot fully convey how much we appreciate your participation in the survey. Thank you in advance. Your testimony. Please read the following statement aloud. Then complete the statement with the word truth or the word fiction. For the record, the encounter I'm about to provide is, well, it's truth. I'm not sure what I saw, but uh, I was hiking in South America. And, uh, well, anyway, let me make sure I'm not going ahead of myself. Do not include the encounter. Okay. So my family is from Germany, Bavaria, the south. 
Of course, there's a lot of lore about all sorts of creatures that aren't quite known to science, accepted by the scientific community for whatever reason. My grandmother has told stories in the past about encounter, having unusual encounters in the forest. A bit of them are dark, though. One of them, she thought she saw something that she couldn't quite explain. Another time, it was a man who had hanged himself during World War II. They're not related, obviously, but the forest for her has always been a place that is a place of possibility, for better or worse. So perhaps my perspective on the forest is colored by the stories that my grandmother told me when I was a young boy. You know, I've read, of course, about about what might live in the woods, about the things that aren't known to science. Here and you often hear about the Yeti or the Sasquatch, that sort of thing. I haven't had any experience with that. But I have read about on the subject, of course, so that might have also colored my experience to some extent, the power of suggestion and so on. Uh, interest in the subject matter prior to your encounter, I'm certainly interested. You know, I've had, uh, I've seen UFOs on two different occasions, so some of my friends seem to think that either I'm making things up or, for whatever reason, unusual events seem attracted to me. Or maybe it's just coincidence, you know. I seem to... I seem to see things that most people don't get to see. And I think part of it maybe is because I'm receptive to seeing things that people maybe don't want to see. Uh, I don't mind having my worldview challenged a bit and changed as a result of experience. Some people aren't so okay with that. I'm sure that I've been exposed to art that maybe has interested me in the supernatural or aspects of the natural world that aren't documented well by science. I've read books on, on the subject. I can't recall any specific like music though tv shows you see the shows that they show like again they'll show footage of sasquatch and so on i think just the idea that there is life that is not documented that there is life that perhaps people don't want to acknowledge is what interests me the most in the subject matter my encounter happened while i was in chile uh in the south in patagonia i got to the location where it happened by hitchhiking um, I hitchhiked all throughout Patagonia, and I was hiking at the time, so I was outside, of course, and that was my reason for being at the location. I was out hiking. I was hiking alone, which you're not supposed to do, but it's hard to find people sometimes that are willing to hike for a few days at a time. Some people aren't down for that. You know, most people just want to hike for a day. I was going out for about a week at a time and then returning to town and then going back out again, so I was pretty much on my own. So this was their... This was their summer, which is the Northern Hemisphere's winter. It was in January, first week of January. As you can imagine, Patagonia is fairly mountainous at times, but there's also a lot of glaciated valleys. There are a lot of glaciers that are still in Patagonia. They haven't completely melted, but of course they're receding rapidly, tragically. Most of the vegetation is fairly low lying. You get trees, of course, but the trees aren't very tall. When you're able to get like a vista, you know, on top of a mountain or like even just up a mountain a ways on switchbacks, generally your vistas are not, they're not blocked at all by trees because it's easy to get above the, tr the, uh, the actual canopy. The climate, while it was technically the beginning of summer or a month into summer, I guess, the climate is still pretty chilly. It's dry at that time of year, but it has the potential to become wet and rainy very fast. The weather itself changes quickly. It was overcast the day of the encounter, as I recall, and it had been overcast the days leading up to it as well. There are a number of glaciers that were close by where I was hiking. I couldn't tell you how many because there are many of them. Typically smaller glaciers, you don't get like the really big ones that you, you typically see maybe in the Alps. These are smaller glaciers. Also, of course, a lot of lakes, a lot of rivers. 
the water is crystal clear. You can literally drink it out of the stream. You don't have to purify it because there aren't any cows or pastures. There's no real industry in the area. There's lots of water everywhere from the snowmelt, of course, right? And also from the melting glaciers as well. There weren't any particular landmarks. It's near a small town called Cochrane, which is at the beginning of the Carretera or the end, depending how you look at it. It was the beginning for me because I was coming up from the south, but it's at the beginning or end of the Carretera Austral, which is the Pan-American Highway stretching from Chile up to Alaska. So I was at the very end of the line, more or less. I was probably about 15 kilometers from town. Again, I was hiking. I was technically in a land preserve, uh, it was a land preserve that was purchased by a wealthy American, and he was in the process of donating it to the Chilean government. It was land that he purchased privately, and he was trying to make a, a public or a national park out of this land preserve. So technically, it was a land preserve. I want to say it was called Parque Patagonia, and it's just north of this town called Cochrane. Uh, I'd heard stories in town. In Patagonia, there were stories of large creatures similar to like Sasquatch that existed in the area way, way back before white settlers came in. It's actually where the name Patagonia comes from, from these very large, I think there were people, no one's really sure. I don't think there's any sort of skeletal remains or evidence that these creatures existed. But these were creatures that basically resembled like a Sasquatch. Very large, bipedal. They had huge feet, which is where their name comes from, Patagon, and hence Patagonia. But there's no record of their existence with the exception of folklore in the area. I'm 100% certain it wasn't a human being. I've been reluctant to tell this story to most people. I have told it. But people discounted, of course. They laugh and they say, oh, it was probably some hippie or, oh, it was probably a local or, you know, some uncontacted native. But there are no uncontacted natives in Patagonia. You get them in the Amazon, but you don't get them that far south. I was camping near a river. I try not to camp underneath trees for fear that the wind kicks up and knocks a branch off and falls on the tent. So I camp in the open. I don't make a secret of my presence. I prefer it that way because if there is an animal nearby, I want the animal to know I'm there so I don't startle it. I'm guessing that it knew I was there because while my tent doesn't stick out, it's also not camouflaged or anything like that. And it was in the open. It was early morning. Early morning for me is about 7 o'clock. I'm not much of a morning person. There was plenty of light and the sun rises early in the summertime down in Patagonia. So the sun had been up for probably at least two hours at that point, maybe even a little bit more. Getting out of the tent that morning, I startled whatever the creature was. Perhaps it was just curious as to what I was. So whatever it was was startled, this creature that I that I saw. It was a distant ways into the woods. I would say a good 50 to 65 feet away from where I was located. I was honestly startled more than I think the creature was. I was a bit terrified because I wasn't expecting to see anything of that nature. I didn't make eye contact with the creature because I just caught it as it darted uh, into the, the woods, essentially. I could hear its feet in the leaf litter. Whatever it was, it saw me before I saw it. The creature was bipedal. It was on two legs. It seemed pretty agile. It ran pretty quickly. For the reason that it was bipedal, I knew that it was something very unusual, right? Because obviously most mammals and most animals in general get around on all four. The creature was probably about three and a half feet tall. Uh, actually, I'd say it was about the size of a child. I don't know if it was a child pathogone. I don't. I really have no idea. You know, it wasn't Homo sapiens. It was far hairier than Homo sapiens. For one, for another, it was naked.
it, it wasn't wearing clothing in Patagonia, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find even a hippie human being who's walking around naked in Patagonia. It's cold. Even during the day, it's cold. In terms of the body hair, so the color was like a dark brown. It was fairly shaggy in appearance. The creature had long hair on its head. Elsewhere, it was just like tufts of hair. The spine was covered. The arms and the legs were quite hairy. The buttocks were like fairly hairy. Some guys think it was male, but you never know. I only saw the back of it, but it wasn't completely covered. You know, again, like a chimp or a monkey or an orangutan. And anyway, there aren't any monkeys in Patagonia to begin with. At least they're not indigenous to Patagonia. There was still plenty of skin showing. The skin was fairly lighter in complexion than I would have anticipated because, of course, natives in South America are typically very dark-skinned. This creature was fairly light-skinned. I'd say it's even pale, this, the, the, the skin that I was able to see. Legs and arms were about the proportions that you would expect from a human. I'd say the legs were a bit longer than you would anticipate. That was one thing that I noticed, but I have very long legs, so I look a little bit funny myself. But yeah, I'd say the creature was long-legged but not so to the point that they wouldn't fit in in public if they were dressed and, you know, their hair was coiffed and everything else. Arms, standard length. Uh, they didn't really stick out, although they were swinging pretty wild. Uh, hands, I didn't really get a good look at the hands, unfortunately, so I couldn't say whether they had more than five digits or not, or claws. I don't think that they did, uh, only for the simple fact that the creature was running very fast, so if it had claws, that wouldn't be very good for running as quickly as it was. If this was a Patagon, the feet were quite large, but I didn't see them. I didn't go looking for footprints. As I said, I was too startled and scared. I think that this was a male that I encountered, but I'm not 100% sure. I didn't have a chance to see the front of the creature, so uh, I have no idea what its genitalia looked like. I'm just guessing it was a male based on how hairy it was, but obviously that's not a very good indicator since there are plenty of mammalian species where the females are just as hairy as the males. There was no clothing, and it wasn't carrying anything either. Uh, the creature was naked. The head was about the size that you'd expect from a homo sapiens. It didn't seem too large. You know, I didn't see its ears or its nose, mouths or lips. Anyway, did you speak to the creature? No, uh, I, I didn't have the chance, of course. No physical interaction beyond, I think, it seeing me and then it taking off and running. In hindsight, I wish I'd pursued it, but I was pretty terrified myself. Because, you know, the same thing when I saw, I, so I saw a couple UFOs when I was in South America as well. Oh, I'd say seven months after this encounter. While everybody else was saying, oh my God, I hope it comes closer. I was the one thinking to myself, I really hope this doesn't come any closer because I was scared. The same thing happened this time. I was pretty terrified, and to be honest with you, it didn't even occur to me to pursue the creature. I was relieved that it ran away. I was on a five-day hike. This was the beginning of day two, so I was nervous to continue. I skipped breakfast that morning. I contemplated going back to town because I didn't feel safe. I don't know why I didn't feel safe, but after that interaction, I didn't feel, I didn't feel secure. I got my stuff together, I tore down the tent, I packed everything up as quickly as I could, and I got the hell out of there because I was, I was afraid. You know, I didn't really know what I'd seen. Part of me wanted to rationalize and say, oh, it was a monkey, but I knew that there weren't monkeys in that area. So whatever it was, it ran like a person, but it wasn't a person. You know, it was obviously not a person. And it ran fast. This is a creature that I could tell was in very good shape. It ran very quickly. It ran barefoot, which is stunning to me. It wasn't wearing shoes, but it ran fast. Even if I had tried to pursue it, I wouldn't have been able to keep up. It would have easily outrun me without having to try too hard.
I ultimately pressed on with the hike because that's what I got out there for. After the encounter, where did I go? I continued hiking, and I was heading north at the time, up through Parque Patagonia to a town. This was going to be about a five-day hike. It was an unusual name. It's a town on the border of Chile and Argentina near a very big, was that Lago Cochran? There's a lake right there. It's named for a general. It's a fairly large lake. This was like four days hike from where I had the encounter. So anyway, that's where I was headed afterwards. After I pressed on, I, I, I never saw that location again. I was never in that area again. That following night after the encounter, even though I'd hiked probably about 16 kilometers from where it happened, uh, I was still scared that night. Fortunately, it doesn't get dark in Patagonia until about 10.30, 11 o'clock in the evening. There was a lot of light, but I was still I was still scared. I was scared that maybe there were other creatures too, right? You know, one creature, maybe not so terrifying, but if there's groups of them, if this is a child, and this is probably the reason I'm glad I didn't pursue it into the woods. What if they were adults, and then they see this child of theirs coming, and there's another bipedal creature, a human, which I'm sure they've encountered before, chasing after their child. Not going to excite the best instincts for me. So I was a little bit scared. In the end, I'm glad that the encounter happened, but in the near term, I remember that night wishing I wish I had not seen it. I wish whatever it was, it had left before I'd had a chance to even know that it was near my tent, because being like 65 feet away is not far away. And I imagine the creature was probably closer to the tent. I saw it when it was about 65 feet away and running fast away from the tent, but for all I know, it was 10 feet away and I was, you know, messing with my zipper and that's what scared it away. Who knows how close it was. Either way, it kind of gives me goosebumps to think about it.
Follow at Facebook slash CryptoGab. Contact CryptoGab at gmail.com. I just came from a rummage sale, Madge. Oh, I was wondering where you got these hands. Oh, it's <laughs> dishwashing. What'll I try? Everything. And use palm olive dishwashing liquid. It softens your hands while you do the dishes. You're soaking in it. In dishwashing liquid? <laughs> it's palm olive. Mild? Oh, more than mild. Makes loads of suds at last. And no kidding, palm olive softens hands while you do the dishes. Madge, hmm? palm olive's as good as gold. I better get these to Fort Knox. <laughs> <laughs>